Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelly Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. Our guest today truly exemplifies the spirit of innovation and leadership, Dom Scandinaro. Dom currently serves as the SVP of Engineering and Data at Cameo, a global leader in creating personalized and authentic fan experiences. Cameo has facilitated over 27,000 hours of unique connections worldwide, bringing fans closer to their favorite celebrities, athletes, TikTok sensations, and comedy legends. Before joining Cameo, Dom's path through the digital landscape was marked by significant roles and contributions. He served as the Director of Engineering at Mac and Mia, showing leadership during a Series B fundraise. While at Luxury Garage Sale, he was the Vice President of Engineering, building a dedicated team of engineers from scratch, implementing emerging technologies, and launching a new e-commerce website. He also led the development of Dialogtext's attribution software platform, migrating it to a more advanced technological framework and increasing its user base manifold. His early roles at Hello World, Inc. and Creedon & Associates allowed him to sharpen his skills in mobile and API development, setting the foundation for his impressive career trajectory. Back at Cameo, he climbed the ranks from senior software engineer to tech lead, director, and now the SVP of engineering and data. With a strong background in diverse tech stacks and a proven track record of success in launching new products, Dom has demonstrated his ability to both innovate and lead. Throughout his four-year tenure at Cameo, he's been instrumental in launching new products such as DMs, Cameo Live, Cameo Calls, and Cameo Kids. His dedication to innovation and his leadership skills have played a significant role in pushing the boundaries of fan engagement. Dom is also a member of the core Chicago team for Black Girls Code, a fantastic organization helping underrepresented minorities get a chance to get excited about programming and technology. We're absolutely thrilled to have you with us today, Dom. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Dom, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your role at Cameo? Sure. So I currently serve as the head of engineering. Been doing that now for about a year and a half and also very involved in the product side of things as well. How did you get into software engineering? I started as a, an interest in computers and technology as a young child. Remember for Christmas when I was probably about 10, my father bought me a video game development software or development kit. And I made my first video game pretty quickly. It was mostly like a drag and drop interface. You wrote a little bit of code here and there, but it was really, really exciting. And I was kind of addicted from there. I just wanted to learn as much as I could take any classes that my grade school or high school would offer. And, you know, I was pretty quickly sure that that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my career. Awesome. It's always interesting to me. When did somebody fall in love with software engineering? And it's either you did or you didn't. I think it's kind of binary. Is that your experience as well? That it's for those who really want to go far with it. It's it's kind of such a, a revelation moment of like, this is what I want to do. Oh, yeah, totally. I think it definitely comes at different times of life for people, right? Like a lot of the best engineers I've met started after they maybe didn't go to school or maybe they went to school for something else. They fall in, in love with it a little bit later in life. But I do think 
once you get a taste of just being able to go from zero to one and build something on your own, a lot of people, you know, you love it or you hate it. Right. Yeah. And for the folks that love it, they just dive right in. And for the people that hate it, I think they get a taste of what a software engineer does every day and <laughs> how much failure there is to embrace and get over. To your point, there's a steel thread there for me on like chemical engineers where they like took a CS class like sophomore year and realized they really love software engineering, but they can't really restart their degree. So they take as many computer science classes as possible, but they stick it out with either the chemical engineering or even electrical engineering. Yeah, for sure. I think it's one of those things that a lot of people just wish they had gotten to sooner. But I mean, people always say today's better than yesterday. Yesterday's better than tomorrow kind of thing. I think I said that backwards, but you get the point. I get it. Well, and I think to your point, you know, your focus on working with Black Girls Code, I think we all know, like you mentioned, we get lucky that we run into this, right? Like my uncle introduced me to it or my dad, right? And like, if you don't have that that luck to find your way, right? Because it's wanting to be a software engineer is a very different type of personality. Is that what drove you to be such a force with the Black Girls Code group? Yeah, it, there's definitely two main things that interested me in it. One is just definitely underrepresented minorities in tech from just trying to get more female engineers to more black people and people of color into the profession. But ultimately just trying to spark that curiosity. I think when I was younger, more people were curious about how things were built, right? Like you'd get a, mm. a birthday present or something and your parents would catch you taking it apart and yelling at you. At least that's how I grew up. And I think you just don't see that sort of curiosity today. People grow up with iPads in their hands. You know, they get phones at a really young age. They have apps on them. And I think that for a lot of people, they're accustomed to it. They don't have that curiosity of like, where did this app come from? They don't think, oh, I could build this. So, you know, similar to my point about creating a video game and falling in love with it. Big concept of Black Girls Code is once a quarter, we have an in-person learning session in Chicago and they have chapters all across the world. And at that in-person session, we have a lot of people who have never written any code before. So obviously we're not gonna teach them to write code, you know, kind of from scratch within a couple hours in person the first time, but it's all about putting together some curriculum where they can try something out. They can make a few modifications to some example code. The last session we did used AI. So it's always very relative to the latest stuff. Like there was some Web3 stuff last year when that was hot. There's AI things going around this year. So they get to put something together. They get to have a working piece of software at the end of it. The AI one that we did a couple of weeks ago was they used a, a Google machine learning system to be able to train the computer to recognize different hand gestures. So they could go through and tell a story and they could program it to recognize when they're making the shape of a heart with their hands or when they're holding up their thumb. And then they could tell a story and they could update the software to show different emojis over top of the video as they make the different hand signals while they're talking. So they start out with some boilerplate code. They get to learn, you know, in that example, what an if statement was, make some changes to the if statements, create some if else statements to be able to create multiple recognizations of different pieces or different gestures in that example. And ultimately, hopefully they leave curious, right? They're not going to remember that if else statement probably at the end of the day, but hopefully they remember they built something, they had fun with it. And if they're the person that's going to fall on the side of wanting to become a software engineer someday, hopefully they go home, they ask their parents more about it, they log back into the account, they created a class and they keep going with it. And ultimately they come again in three months to the next session. 
That's awesome. Yeah, interesting. As you're going through that, I was thinking about the conversation we had about uh, finding talent and some of the things that you do to engage people. Because I think that that experience of making something happen, hitting F5, right, and making something actually come to life is part of the allure, the attraction of like, I built that, right? Like, I made that happen. And, you know, maybe that, like you said, they don't remember the if statement or little inside joke with my son about a switch. I was teaching him some control stuff and he's like, I don't want to learn about switches, dad. I'm like, switches are fun. They're almost useless, but fun, right? When you can use a switch, you feel great about yourself. At least that's my experience. We'll cut all of that out, Dom. Don't worry about it. Just Pat's diatribe. All right. So, but we did talk about that. Is that part of like what you're looking for, even when you're engaging people at your organization, right? Getting them engaged, getting them to feel empowered and Tell me more about that. Why are you guys, what do you do on that day one? Yeah, that's a great kind of connection that I wouldn't have thought of myself. When we bring new engineers on at Cameo, one thing we like to really emphasize is deploying code to production on your first day on the job. So it's a, you're going to be paired up with a buddy, a mentor, or in most cases, your manager. For the first day, we're going to line up one or two tickets that are something we needed to get done, but wasn't urgent the week or two before for your team that you're joining for you to tackle on your first day. And we have kind of two parallel goals there, one on the broader team and organization's benefit and the other one on this individual that's joining the team's benefit. So the one that benefits our organization is just we want to always be testing and retesting our development onboarding experience. So you know, how quickly can you download the code onto your machine, get access to the GitHub repository, get access to our AWS account, everything you need to be able to do your job. If it's taking two days to do something there, obviously you're not going to be able to deploy code on day one. So we're always stressing our own systems by kind of pushing for that as somebody starts their first day. If our tests are brittle and they're always failing, those sorts of things are going to slow you down and you're not going to be able to get code out the first day. So finding those problems and continuously fixing them and having new people kind of contribute to the onboarding documentation as they find problems or overcome situations is also a good way to get them started. But on the flip side of the coin, we want people that are here to really make change and move quickly. Mm. This isn't a huge enterprise organization. There aren't a ton of processes or politics involved in you know picking up a ticket and writing some code and deploying it to production. And we want to make sure that the person we hired is going to thrive in that environment and, and find success here. So we push them to pick up a quick ticket to learn the code that surrounds that feature they're going to change or that bug they're going to fix and write a few lines of code, work with their peers to get it code reviewed, write a test to make sure that it's working correctly. It doesn't break something else. If it does break any other tests, figure out why it broke them and adjust the code so that it's not causing any problems and ultimately get it deployed to production. And that gives you a great sense of the speed that we're going to ask you to move every day at Cameo from the first day. So if you hate that and it's not for you, like we'll learn it quickly, you'll learn it quickly. And, you know, you can start looking for the next thing. But hopefully you're super excited. You get to go home, talk to your partner that night or show your kid that you just made this change to the Cameo app and you can point to it. You know, you can open the app on your phone and you can point to it and you can show your kid like, look what I just did my first day at work. I've changed this. I added this feature. I fixed this bug. You can show the website to your mom, whoever it is in your life that you want to impress. It's really awesome to be able to say, like, look what I did my first day. And that gives people that feeling for how much they can change day to day and 
the big point of why it's so fun to work at a consumer app as well is that you can make changes that hundreds of thousands of customers are going to see every month. I'm curious, um, knowing a lot of engineers, reticence to move aggressively, which is great, setting a pace, letting everybody know this is our pace, right? Do you find that some people really struggle with that pushing to production on day one? Definitely. And throughout the many years that Cameo has been around for a little over six at this point, this is the value that's kind of come and gone and come back again. It was a big piece of the team and the culture when I started. And as we grew, we backed off of it a bit. You know, We did a lot less celebration around when somebody did the deploy day one. And over time, we really leaned back into it. And I mentioned all that just to highlight at one point, my previous boss, Chaz, who's no longer with us, he went through and he put together a spreadsheet of folks that did deploy code on their first day or first week and those that didn't. And we looked at their success longer term at the company. And, you know, it's not 100% science. There are certainly people that were an anomaly one way or another, but it was pretty clear that the people that kind of adhered to the spirit of it, even if the first day slips into next morning or later that week, if you work on maybe a native team and you have to get through app review with Apple or Google or something, the people that did it were the ones that were the most successful long-term at Cameo. And the folks that didn't do it were many of the people that ended up not working out for us. So that was what caused us to ultimately lean back into it quite a bit, probably like two years ago and really never look back from there. You know, that learning cycle of that early start and I think it applies to sports teams and, and many different organizations, that cycle of like, hey, this is what we did. Then you stop doing it. And again, I, without any kind of like, you know, regret or just acknowledging, hey, we, what caused you to stop doing it for that certain portion? Was it just didn't have enough time or working through leadership structures or? I don't think it was a like a thoughtful decision to stop doing it. It was just we were growing really quickly and the importance of it wasn't necessarily like shared and agreed upon by all the leaders within the engineering work. So I think some teams still did a really good job of collecting some features or bug fixes for a person to do day one and and really emphasizing and owning, helping them get that done. And then for other teams, they just kind of dove right into work as usual and getting them onboarded and learning some of the bigger, more difficult pieces of our infrastructure. So it was more of like just taking a step back, slowing down for a couple seconds to speed up in the long term and really just reiterating the fact that that was a core value within the engineering or get Cameo and, and moving forward with it from there. I think it's great. I would imagine part of it is a maturation on like managing the, the product backlog of like having enough small enough tickets that you can be strategic. You're not just reacting, right? If you're a team that's you know, chasing a, a date pretty hard. It'd be hard to like set time aside of like, hey, we're going to do this one thing with that one person. But clearly you see the value of setting those folks up with the right pace. Yeah. And it's difficult, right? Because you're not going to be able to do something incredible on your first day at work when you're just getting set up and getting access to email and finding out where the bathroom is and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> So it does take a lot of teamwork too, from just, you know, people that are going to be on the same engineering team as you, they know you're starting next Monday, they see a bug ticket come through. It's a quick thing they could fix in an hour or two. If they just take a break and get it done, they need to kind of think ahead to say, no, you know what? I know that Pat starts as a new engineer on Monday and this would be a great ticket for him. So I'm just going to tag it for his first day and I'm going to, you know, move on with the next thing. 
I really appreciate you giving me the job in the first place. I'm glad to be part of the organization, <laughs> you know, great locker room guy. Uh, so interesting though, like your background as you've, you've worked at a number of organizations as they've gone through a lot of growth. What is some of the, the best lessons learned as, as somebody leading these teams going from one to three engineers to 10 engineers to a thousand engineers? Well, I think one that you just have to learn firsthand, which seems really obvious in retrospect, is just that the same processes and procedures that you have for one team of engineers with a team of three engineers at the whole company don't work when you have 10 teams of engineers with 100 engineers at the whole company. And it isn't immediately obvious when you're in the thick of it that if things are going super well and you're hiring and hiring and hiring and building more and more teams, that you actually need to change anything, right? Because things are going well, people are deploying code, more customers are coming, revenue is increasing. You don't always just take a step back and think about what efficiencies are we missing out on by not adjusting our processes or you know, kind of the opposite, like what problems are we causing by maybe moving too fast when we've got a growing team and need to just take a step and slow down and make sure that we've got work siloed off in a way that's causing people not to kind of step all over each other all the time. So I think being at a company that either goes through massive growth or massive restriction is really the only way to kind of experience that and really understand the differences. Or, you know, I've never worked at a large enterprise company. I imagine if you worked at a small startup and you go join a, you know, a Google or an Amazon or go the opposite direction, you'd probably have a similar experience, right? You're accustomed to a lot of process and procedure in one org or the lack thereof, and you join the other and kind of have that binary flip experience where it's kind of the exact opposite and you've got to adjust overnight. And you shared with us in an earlier call, Dom, that your dad was a serial entrepreneur. Did he have a lot of influence on you or can you tell us more about that? Yeah, my father, he didn't really like to work for anyone his whole life. He was a serial entrepreneur, owned a bunch of different restaurants from a young age, owned a few different companies, owned a photography company for most of his career. I think the area where he was most impactful was really both getting into technology with me as he saw the interest, but also just sparking my interest and curiosity and confidence in the fact that like anyone can start a company, anyone can do this. It's not the craziest thing that only like one person in the world can do or anything like that. Obviously, at the same time, it is a really difficult thing to do. And, you know, you do have to be a certain archetype of person to be able to do it. But all the way back to him buying me that software to be able to create my first video game when I was young and get me into it, he saw that I was really interested in technology and falling in love with computers and coding. And he decided to kind of take it upon himself as somebody that had no technical background at all to learn how to build a computer. So I remember like back in the 90s, we would go to a computer show at the local expo in Pittsburgh and we would buy, you know, the different parts of the computer, the motherboard, the RAM, the hard drive the case and we would go home and I'm just thinking he's crazy. Like we're never going to figure out how to put this together, but he met people, he built relationships, he learned from them. We bought some books, we read them. And ultimately we just, you know, put the computer together, had issues, you know, all the normal stuff for uninstalling drivers and all those sorts of problems we went through back in the day, building our own computers. And I thought he was crazy. I thought it was impossible, but suddenly I realized a couple of weeks later that it was really simple and and ultimately, he ended up putting together a small company, I think it was called Scandinero Computers, just our last name, where he was building computers and selling them to families. And they kind of came with training of how to use the computer. 
and I would go to their house and, and kind wow. of teach them how to use the mouse and keyboard and that sort of stuff. So he just found ways to overlap his interests with entrepreneurship with mine and technology and give us a way to kind of work together and have fun and, and kind of set me up for a life in tech and be able to chase my dreams. Very cool. That's very interesting. It's uh, I also, uh, my father started his own business. It's, it's definitely one of those things that gives you the confidence that like, hey, it's not impossible, right? How do you think that's impacted you as you're going through these growth challenges, you know, watching your dad build things and, and understand, well, you, you use the phrase zero to one earlier, right? That's a different deal going from zero to one versus one to a hundred, hundred to a thousand. Yeah, for sure. I think it's had an impact on me. To be honest, I don't really think about it too much. I'm the kind of person that just likes trying new things, right? And, you know, at the the most basic example that is, you know, a new programming language or a new framework you hear about within the language you're interested in that you read about online and it sparks some curiosity. So you spend, you know, a weeknight or some time on the weekend just diving into it and learning it and just kind of rebuilding the same sample application or whatever that you use to teach yourself new things. For me, I'm always interested in that. I'm always interested in what's next, always interested about how we could build the next feature at whatever company I'm at or how I could help some other company in the future be able to kind of build their product from scratch. It's definitely something I think is a gene that people either have or they don't, you know, they love it or hate it, just like computer science itself. But I haven't thought much about like entrepreneurship and my father and how it might have led me to that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you've got building software, the entrepreneurial nature, and you think about like what's happened over the last two decades of what's the five largest companies in America, right? 20 years ago, it was not Facebook, Google, right? It was not those companies. So it, there's, I think they're to your point of like, there's the environment, the tools and the personality types kind of hit right at the, the same thing as what's created the opportunity for those organizations to dominate. And then the culture of like, collaboration is such a, a core like philosophy with software engineers i find it interesting how many people in, in software engineering have like a, a musical background right they were in bands right and i think there's something about being in harmony being in concert with each other becoming a master of, of your equipment whether it's you know software programming language or an instrument and then the collaboration you're not competing you're collaborating to create something but you have to work together with each other. Have you given that any, does that sound resonate with anything with you? It definitely does. One thing that I noticed my entire tenure at Cameo is that annually we have a talent show and I myself don't have too many musical capabilities. I think I played the drums in high school and wasn't very good at it myself, but it never ceases to amaze me how talented like the engineer sitting in the seat next to me is. You know, I had no idea that they could play the guitar or they could sing or they could do a comedy set or they're a magician as a hobbyist in the part time, like having a venue, like a talent show at your company and being able to take a sit back and just like look around and see your coworkers and see the other talents they have that you don't see come out every day at work just reminds you how impressive people are and you know how much of that probably goes into the day to day of them being able to excel at their job and you don't see it in the nine to five while they're sitting at their keyboard, opening pull requests and fixing bugs and that sort of stuff. So that makes me uh, think about, you know, another concept that we discussed was, uh, you know, as you're growing, you're trying to create other leaders. What is your philosophy as you're growing? Because 
I have my own strategies. I would love to hear yours around, you know, as you're growing as quickly as you did at some of these organizations. What did you do to, in essence, uh, backfill the leadership needs as you're moving forward and creating growth? Yeah, I mean, one thing we've had excellent success with at Cameo is hiring individual contributors and growing them into managers. And in many cases, that even meant a person like myself who had management experience or maybe even tens of years of management experience and asking them to be an IC as they first joined the team. Hmm. The thing that we found there that was really incredible is the ability for somebody to gain technical respect from the people working next to them, side by side with them on the team as they dive into the code base, as they build features, as they solve problems the company might have had for months before they were there, you know, in shorter spans than people that might be beside them with lesser experience or anything like that. Bringing those people in and letting them take a step back and just dive in and build gives them a chance to learn the code base, gives them a chance to be much better cross-functionally talking about the difficulty of building X feature versus Y feature because they actually know the code base. They've actually rolled up their sleeves and they've done it. It helps them cross-functionally and ultimately it just helps them eventually step up and become a leader of those people they worked side by side with because those folks already respect them technically. They're not going to doubt their technical decisions or their leadership in the future. And that's just been a really successful pattern for us. Obviously, you kind of need to be in a situation where the company's growing and there will be opportunities because it's going to be difficult to hire somebody that's got 10 years of management experience, asking them to be an individual contributor. If you can't follow that up with, we're growing really quickly, there's going to be a need for a manager on a team somewhere within the next three to six months. Like, Mm -hmm. just trust us, just join the team, just dive in and the opportunity will come. And if you want it, when it comes, it's yours. I'm curious from your experience, when you're looking at like um, characteristics of people that work well with your leadership style and strategy, and what are some of those, obviously being a proficient software engineer, being high quality Right. That kind of thing. I think uh, professionalism, obviously. But is there like a a secret sauce to like what you're looking for? Is there a certain characteristic or behavior like, oh, that person probably is going to turn out to be a pretty good manager? I mean, it's definitely that people are nice. I think that often we interview people. Almost all of our questions are very technical in nature, especially because we don't really interview for leaders within the engineering work frequently, if ever. So sometimes somebody will come in and they'll absolutely crush many, if not all of the technical exercises, but they're kind of rude throughout the process or dismissive in discussions. And it's so easy to overlook because the main thing we're asking of people is to have the technical skill set. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of great, really smart people out there. And if they're not nice and they're not going to be easy to work with and, you know, easy to work with under pressure of a deadline or productions down and you're digging through the logs trying to figure out what's going on. You need somebody that's going to be nice and easy to work with in that situation almost above all else. So that's an obvious one, but I think it's one that all of us overlook in the interview process or even day-to-day working with one another quite frequently. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on. And Tom, I just want to say, obviously, big fan of Cameo, longtime customer. I always enjoy the, uh, everybody enjoys it. It's just, it's just, it's a really unique and awesome product that you have. And you're doing an amazing job in the products that you talked about. I've used some of them as well, the new things that you, you've rolled out. So again, I just say congratulations to you and your team. Really excited about you and what you're doing here in Chicago. And really thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Thank you so much for having me.
We also want to thank our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32. 